This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. This is indeed Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And we begin this segment with our one of our favorite guests, Josh Silver. Josh is the former CEO of the Northampton-based national organization Represent Us, getting big money out of politics. He is a political consultant, and we are thrilled to have him with us today, in particular because so much is going on with regard to the politics of the country, both on the state level and the national level. I'd like to start, Josh, by asking you about what we were talking about just before we came on the air, which is what is happening in a head-to-head race between Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, and Donald Trump, the former president, who, well, apparently, according to the pundits, is on a downhill slide. But apparently, with the voters who matter, which are Republican primary voters, Trump would crush DeSantis today. So how do you reconcile those two uh, irreconcilable positions? Well, first of all, good morning, guys. This is very exciting. This is the first day of your big show. And you're our first guest, yeah, Josh Silver. Yeah, as usual, Bill Newman is belying the gravity of the moment. This is huge. And you used some cool, like, what was the jingle that the band you entered with was great? It's like 90s pop. I love it. Nice work, Bill. You're acting contemporary in an old way. Very <laughs> classic Newman. No, so, okay, so you saw the reports. That, this is that, going well so far. <laughs> yeah, you saw the reports over the weekend, right? So Trump does this, these two events, one in South Carolina, one in North uh, in New Hampshire this weekend. And unlike anything he did in the previous election, the event in New Hampshire was just at the Capitol, only had 200 people. The one in South Carolina, similar, a couple hundred people. He had, you know, a couple of plebes next to him, like this Lindsey Graham, like the worst person on the planet and the governor of, of South Carolina, two big endorsements. But notably absent was thousands and thousands of people. And uh, there's been a lot of talk about, like, has he lost his mojo? His, is, is this like an indicator of how Trump is no longer resonant with the base? But then you look at these three polls that have come out over the past month, one from Emerson College. Um, that one shows Trump at 55. This is a hypothetical Republican primary with Trump, DeSantis, Pence, and the rather telegenic and articulate Nikki Haley, who a lot of people think, wow, she's she could be a force. Get this, Trump, 55%. DeSantis, 29%. Pence, 6 Nikki Haley, 3 Then you look at the morning consult. Trump, 49 DeSantis, 30 Pence, 7 Haley, 3 And the last one, a Harvard poll. Trump 48, DeSantis 28, Pence 7, uh, Halley 3. So Trump is very, very powerful with the Republican base in ways that, frankly, I didn't even think he would be at this point. And so let's not take him uh, lightly. Uh, That's a massive lead at this juncture. But he's the only one who's actually declared, right? Sure, but everybody knows that Ron DeSantis, what did he win by, like 18 points in Florida? He's uh, he's one of the few bright spots for the MAGA right from the last election, and everyone knows he's a serious contender. Well, DeSantis is a serious contender, but DeSantis does not face the obstacles that are facing Trump, including the district attorney's report in uh, in, in Georgia— uh, the grand jury report, which has not been made public, which could lead to an indictment. We just don't know. I've never uh, experienced such a cone of silence over something that is as important as that. But there have been no leaks, no information, no anything. He's facing criminal charges potentially from the Justice Department. There are problems, legal problems for him in New York as well. So uh, Trump is in deep trouble, it seems to me, or it has seemed to me. And you're telling me I should worry even more. Well, you're a logical lawyer who like thinks about like what facts and things like that. The, the problem is, is that, and don't take it as a compliment. I don't like to compliment <laughs> you on air, <clears throat> but, but the problem is as well, we've, that was Josh Silver joining <laughs> us this morning. Yeah, no, but as we've seen for years now, the, the base doesn't care. Right. And so frankly, the, the documents snafu now with Biden and Pence and probably every former major elected having classified documents at their homes or somewhere is now defanged what was the most, I think, for those of us who would love to see Trump indicted for a crime because he's committed so many objectively, um, you know, that defanged that investigation politically significantly. It's highly doubtful 
that the kind of possible scenarios of Trump getting into hot water for these documents um, found at his at his residence, it, very unlikely he's going to get in in deep doo doo over this. Sorry, but it, it's just it's too murky now. It's too murky. Yeah. Because although what Trump did was infinitely worse than what yeah, Biden the, did or what Pence did, I mean, he lied, he covered up, he did all the things that Trump right. uh, traditionally does. But um, I agree. Yeah. And it, it, just because the American politics, I know you'll be shocked to know, is reptilian and the details don't matter. What does matter is Georgia. Georgia is, is where Trump, I think, is most legally exposed. I think most people agree on that. And Unlike the very politicized uh, Department of Justice and Merrick Garland's very difficult role of being appointed by President Biden and having to investigate Trump, you know, the, the, the officials in, in Georgia have shown more backbone and less exposure to those political dynamics. And that's the one that I'm watching. That said, Bill, I don't think it's going to really matter with this base because Trump will immediately paint it as a witch hunt driven by politics he will use that very strong racist base within his base, which is going to immediately see that it's an African-American woman who's leading the charge against him in Georgia. As is Letitia James in New York. In New York, and it becomes a subliminal and somewhat explicit racial uh, sort of driven narrative, and they don't, they won't hold it against him. And in fact, it might make him more popular. You're saying you don't, you think it would derail Trump's presidential bid if he is indicted? I think it will in the general, but not in the primary. So let's let's just separate that. So if if this happens and he's indicted, I think he could still win the primary election for the Republican Party, but I think it would be very difficult for him to win the general election in November. Is there no Republican that you see as being a, the formidable obstacle that Trump can't overcome? It's just DeSantis. I mean, he's the only one at this juncture. There is nobody else. You're the one, Josh Silver, who's told me for years on my previous program that we can't pay attention to early polls. They don't mean very much. They change dramatically. So Absolutely uh, correct. And here... Thank you. I so love, this the, I love the, those words. Say those again. The, no, this say, is, no, say that again. This okay. is the <laughs> one time for this new show. <laughs> no, but this, I think you know, this is where we are today. Everything is going to be really different later, but it is pretty notable that he's beating DeSantis by 20 points right now. And, and you would think that his, his, his flower is shrinking. It seems like that. It feels like that. It doesn't have the energy he used to. What do you make of his being readmitted to social media as a welcome guest? Yeah. What, what effect do you think that's going to have? I don't think it'll be seismic because the guy still gets so much attention all the time. I, I don't think it's it's a massive game changer. I think it's just an indication of how bankrupt these these ma massive platforms are. And, you know, as, as you guys can talk about, the rock and hard place they are in between sort of free speech and regulation of speech, et cetera. I'd like to turn to... Uh, a matter that I know you are deeply involved and in, in, interested in, and that has to do with the these national issues that are playing out state by state. Yeah. And there was a large article in the New York Times over the weekend about this and specifically about how abortion is playing out in the state courts as opposed to now at the United States Supreme Court, state by state, legislature by legislature, state constitution by state constitution. We were chatting before we went on the air about what is happening in Wisconsin. You had a number of observations about that and the importance of what is happening in that state. And I'd appreciate it if you would share those thoughts with our listeners. Josh Silver? Sure. So in the states, you've got uh, what are the a lot of states that are controlled very uh, decisively by Republicans. And a lot Which of is to say they own, they own, they, 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 they control, control the state the houses yeah. and the governorship. They and own the state houses. Tri right. They call those trifectas, right? They control the Senate, the House, and the governor's mansion. And so on, on many issues across, you know, election administration, uh, gerrymandering, abortion, uh, the, the power of the executive or the governor's office in a given state, um, they are completely dominant. And the only body that has the ability to push back on that and actually change outcomes are the, the, the state Supreme Courts. Now, in Wisconsin, it's interesting because you've got a legislature that has a razor-thin supermajority, meaning two-thirds Republican control of the Senate, and, and, and nearly a supermajority control of the state house. And then you've got a, a Supreme Court, state Supreme Court in Wisconsin, that is four to three 
Republican, Democrat. You've got a Republican who is not running again. They, they run for office. They are not appointed. Yeah, and I think Wisconsin. we should, let's just pause there for one second, because I think here in Massachusetts, we have a misunderstanding and a distorted sense of how state courts work. Because in Massachusetts, our, our judges are appointed. They are nominated right. by the governor. They go through a process with the Judicial Nominating Committee and the Governor's Council. And we could we will discuss those entities at various times in the program. But they are judges until they turn 70. And they are allegedly not political. They are at least vetted for their competence. And they are confirmed by the, uh, uh, by the Governor's Council. All that having been said, in the overwhelming majority of states in this country, judges are elected. They are totally political animals. Okay, not totally. They are mostly political animals. Yeah, and it's Wisconsin is it's, one of them. It's ridiculous. It's broken. It doesn't work. I think in the old days, right, when the country was less polarized, it was less crazy to have this kind of system. Now that it's polarized, it is full-blown nuts. I mean, and, and the, the under... That's the technical political consultant language. Well, that's the political <laughs> consultant language when one political party has gone fascist, right? You can't, there's no way to sugarcoat it, right? The Republican Party has gone from being like a pro-business, conservative, kind of like we try to like, you know, be fiscally responsible. We don't Your like basic abortion. center-right party. Yeah, and now it's gone to be like anti-democracy, more like a Russian, they favor like Russian-style managed democracies and, and autocratic rule and absolute power by the executive. It's, it's crazy. And, um, and in that context, these state Supreme Court races being, being elections are absurd, and there's a major race comes up. It's, it's like next month. So the primary election is February 21st. The general election is in the middle of April. In Wisconsin. In Wisconsin. This is coming up like toot sweet right away, and you've got this run where you have this insurgent, um, very popular judge from Milwaukee who's running in a primary in a Republican against a guy named Kelly who's kind of the heir apparent, who's getting a lot of money from the Uline family, billionaires. There's a ton of money going into this, and the outcome will determine whether a Democrat or Republican ultimately wins the seat in April. And with that, will there be mitigation against like efforts to prevent mail-in voting that will... The, the Republicans' efforts to create, you know, voter ID and signatures for making it harder and harder for especially for poor and people of color to vote. Will there the redistricting, which is among the most severe gerrymandering in the country, right, where the politicians are picking voters instead of vice versa, will that get even worse? Um, will abortion be completely banned as it currently is in Wisconsin under all circumstances? All these really important issues. Or will yes. there be checks and balances? Yeah. And that's going to all be determined by this race. Really? All that will be de determined by one race for one seat on one Supreme Court yeah, in one really if important she, state. If, if the Republicans win, they continue to have their, their majority and it gets worse. And if the Democrats wins, things actually will improve. It's a bifecta. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with the former CEO of Represent Us, political consultant Josh Silver. We'll be right back. This is Political Gold with Josh Silver. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. If only there were an indoor, climate-controlled farmer's market every day of the year. Oh, but there is. At State Street Fruit Store, Deli Wines and Spirits, farmers are bringing in their best from the field, orchards, and greenhouses every day. The best of the crop from wherever the crop is best, starting with fiddleheads and asparagus, all the way through berry season, corn, and into the root veggies, and hothouse stuff to get you through a New England winter. Plus, you can grab a bottle of burgundy or bourbon. And since it's open every day of the year, it's like a farmer's market every day of the year. But no rain, no snow, no heat wave, and they open at 6.30 a.m. every day of the year. Those are farmer's hours. Since the market is inside the building, there's plenty of room to park in the lot. State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits on the corner of State and Center in downtown Northampton. It's like an indoor farmer's market every day of the year. Why do the same old thing to celebrate Valentine's Day? 
Kelsey Flynn here inviting you to join me, Tara Brewster, and the one and only Monty Belmonte, East Hampton Mayor Nicole LaChapelle, DA Dave Sullivan, and Zara Bodie from the Sweetback Sisters to the Big Love Little Performances Benefit for CHD's Big Brothers Big Sisters of Hampshire County. This lip sync karaoke contest has everything to woo your Valentine or make it a Galentine's Day. Buy tickets or enter to perform at runreg.com forward slash big love little performances. It's all happening on Thursday, February 9th at the Boylston Rooms in East Hampton. Be there and share the love for Big Brothers Big Sisters of Hampshire County. Check it out on Facebook. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. We continue our conversation with political consultant, the former CEO of Represent Us, getting big money out of politics, Josh Silver. Josh, we were talking during the break, and Dan Torres here in the studio with us raised the issue of what happens if DeSantis goes one-on-one with Trump. Does that improve DeSantis's prospects a lot? Absolutely. I mean, DeSantis is a fantastic candidate from a purely of just a quality of candidate perspective. What's terrifying about him, though, and you sort of you've you've opened the door for me to rant about DeSantis now, Bill. So DeSantis is Trump with a brain. He's more dangerous than Trump, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, and and you know, I was listening to this podcast, you know, with pre Barg. Uh, is pre uh, how do you say his last name? The former pre Southern Bahar. District. Yeah, thank you. Southern District of New York, federal prosecutor. He now does this great podcast. Check it out if you haven't. And he was interviewing Frank Bruni, the the op-ed columnist from the New York Times over the weekend and um, on his most recent show. And Bruni points out, he's like, the the scariest thing about DeSantis is that he has really codified this, this political style of just being opposed to everything and attacking everyone and so sometimes people try to like on one hand DeSantis is more moderate than Trump on certain things like he's actually less absolutist and completely nuts about denying women their right to choose he's more reasonable about that or there if you if you look across issues he's a political animal who has actually moderated his position to some degree against you know off of the hard right policies that Trump and, and Marjorie Taylor Greens and, and the, the like uh, propose. What's scary about him is that he literally has made his entire political career about attacking his opponents and beating and, def- you know, just just crushing everyone who is against him. And so whether he's crushing Disney, whether he's, you know, ending the woke, you know, killing the whole woke movement, like everything is oppositional. And that's what's so scary about this guy. He's not for anything, really. He's just about naming his opponents who are liberals and destroying Or immigrants. Yeah, or, yeah, fill in the blank. But the liberals being the biggest one, the Democrats and the liberals. And he is relentless in that pursuit. And having someone who is a very likely serious contender for the nomination of one of the two major parties is terrifying. And I think, as Buzz pointed out when we were talking off air... DeSantis is more formidable candidate when he is the option and everyone who is opposed to Trump for a myriad reasons get together and say, he's our guy, we're going to back him, in the way that the Democrats did with, with Biden uh, and, after South Carolina in the primaries right, last but, time. But, but, but here's the interesting side note to that. We were talking off air as well about, I mean, folks, we talk about so many interesting things off air, don't we? <laughs> oh, we should just stay on the air. I know, it's all the time. So there's been a really important thing that's happened over the last year or two, which is, and I guess it's a little longer if you look back to the to 16, essentially the, the Republican Party, which was the, the party of, of business, business interests, has gone completely rogue on them, things like not raising the debt ceiling, which would plunge the U.S. economy into a, a place that we haven't seen since the, the Great Depression. That is really bad for business. And business is, and their lobbyists are freaking out. And so the question also becomes like DeSantis, who has shown a willingness 
to attack and destroy businesses if it advances his interests, like Disney, which we mentioned, right? They he attacked Disney and went to war with them and threatened their tax status, which would which is special in the company. But the question is, will DeSantis tack towards corporate interests and be more of a reliable proxy for them the way the Republicans have been for big business for decades? Because if so, you're going to see a massive amount of money going to DeSantis that's not going to be going to Trump and the other hard right folks who are not reliably advancing their interests. I think that is probably the dynamic that is going to be among the most serious determinants of whether DeSantis could have a viable run in the next presidential. What's he waiting for? What does he wait? What's the go signal for DeSantis? He's waiting because the moment he put goes in, and he will go in, I think, uh, is is the moment he goes in, he's at war with Donald Trump. And he they already have a like a very low-grade Cold War happening. But as soon as he announces, it is it is absolute overt warfare, and Trump takes no prisoners, and DeSantis is trying to delay that moment as long as he can. Does it skew his pronouncements, what he says and does publicly, because he becomes a presidential candidate, and therefore he's looked at with a slightly different lens than the media is covering him now? Slightly, but not too much, because the media is treating him as a as a very likely candidate. But yes, and there's also campaign finance implications. Remember, Ron DeSantis is sitting on like $100 million that he's raised. Just really? sitting in a war chest. Yes. He's got $100 million. He's got serious money. And he's like, he's not going to spend it on gifts for his family. I mean, he's going to, this is for a run for, for president. It's not for his next gubernatorial. Does Trump have money? There's been a Trump's lot of- Trump's got dis- plenty of money. Yeah. He's got over $100 million as well. Okay. So this is, this is major, major money. Yeah, well, remember, money. Trump's been making money on these lies and deceits to these these small donors across the country. For It's like the, it's the legal lottery. defense fund. And yeah, the lottery, right? right? You, you take money from the poor people. It's like it's the same thing. Well, I, I have two thoughts. One is that Biden sort of created a model of hold on, don't announce, hang on till the last minute, let the others start fighting it out, and then come in at the last minute and... There we, there we go. And the other thing about DeSantis is I think that he knows, apropos to what you're saying, Trump is going to have some nicknames in his pocket, oh, yeah. right? He's going to have yeah. some things to say about DeSantis that are going to be <clears throat> compelling to someone yeah. out there. Yeah, no, for sure. Josh, let me ask you this. Uh, you just mentioned the debt ceiling, and there was front page across the media uh, news this morning that Trump would be... Trump, that uh, President Biden would be meeting with uh, Kevin McCarthy about the debt ceiling. And the debt ceiling is, as a political matter, as well as an economic matter, but as a political matter, a hugely important issue, which most of the time people's eyes just glaze over when the term comes up. How do you see the politics of the debt ceiling fight? It's really interesting because the the politics were actually <clears throat> previously pretty good for McCarthy because he can just paint the Democrats as out-of-control spenders who are running up the deficit to trillions when, in fact, the New York Times did a study that showed that uh, over the last several uh, presidential administrations, it's roughly equal, which is an interesting factoid, that Republicans have run up the national debt roughly the same amount as the Democrats over time. But then the hard right, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates wing of Jim Jordan wing of the party <clears throat> comes out and proposes this 30% sales tax. We're going to eliminate the income tax and do a 30. It's political suicide, right? Because there you're taking the taxation that's supposed to be going at a higher levels to billionaires and corporations and saying everybody, including poor people, have to pay 30% on medicine and food and et cetera. Um, and McCarthy knows it, and it has put him into a bind. Where this is going to go, Bill, no idea, because McCarthy has given up so much of his power to the hard right uh, guys, folks like Gates and Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene. 
that who you, just two years ago were appropriately relegated to the position of being crazy people who somehow got elected and no one should ever pay any attention to them and they should have no power whatsoever because there are right-wing crazy people yeah. and now they are in very important positions in the United States Congress. Right, and Biden knows that McCarthy's not really in control because he doesn't really have power, so Biden is actually holding the cards right now. Really? Yeah, he is holding the cards in that politically. You asked politically. Yes. Because he's negotiating because he's with got someone the votes who's got and- no power. And so he knows that the the far right is going to run the Republicans into a political buzzsaw and McCarthy can't stop them. So so Biden, I believe, is actually in a good position on this debt ceiling. And it is yet simultaneously very possible that it will happen, that the debt ceiling will not be raised because the Republicans are that crazy. The Democrats will blame the Republicans where the public perceptions of Blaine land will, of course, just land in their camps. The, Demo- the liberals and Democrats will understand that it's the Republicans' fault, and all of the Republican voters will think it's the Democrats' fault. One last question before we go on that specific topic, Josh Silver. The Republicans, as you have pointed out, ran up the national debt as much as the Democrats did. And yet I think the public perception is, no, this is a Democrat. They're the big spenders. The Republicans are fiscally responsible, small business, small government people, and somehow the branding is absolutely antithetical to the reality. Is there any hope for the Democrats to reverse that? Well, I mean, you're opening up the topic maybe of my next visit, which would be about media bubbles, how everyone is, you know, the right's getting their news from Fox, the left's getting their news from the New York Times and MSNBC, and it depends on which facts you're getting, and the problem is the segmentation of media has made it so that the answer to your question is no. We're going to the, make- the, the real last question is, you could have talked about the national bill that we owe involved in the debt, but no, you talked about a buzzsaw. Can you just stop joshing? <laughs> well, and now we really have to go. <laughs> yeah, just that the, the economy is, gonna, is going to implode if, if we hit June, mm-hmm. and the scotch duct tape little job they're doing right now to hold things together can't hold anymore. And that's... I think it's a longer answer than we have at 9.32. But at 10 o'clock, we're going to be speaking with uh, nationally known economist Richard Wolf. So Perfect. There you go. Hang in there. Guys, thanks for having me on. I'm really honored. Pleasure, Josh. This has been Political Goal with Josh Silver. We'll be right back with Michael Clare. We're talking about Ukraine. To talk the talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. You can keep them for the best and bees, not give me more. That's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. And encountered the suspect who was in possession of a gun. Rodriguez was taken into custody without incident. After the officers entered the salon, they discovered an injured man who died at the salon as a result of his injuries. The identity of the victim will not be released until proper notification is made. A new documentary is set to premiere Saturday at the Academy of Music, centering on six formerly incarcerated women who have overcome adversity through writing. The film, Finding the Words, the story of voices from inside, is a collaboration between the City and Arts Equity Group of Northampton. The documentary features personal stories of women who have overcome adversity through writing and also examines the root causes of incarceration. At the premiere, Senator Joe Comerford is expected to speak about a bill establishing a five-year moratorium on jail and prison construction in Massachusetts. A question and answer session open to the public will also be held immediately following the premiere. And the Greenfield Local Cultural Council has announced their grant recipients for 2023. They have awarded over $21,000 for a wide variety of programs benefiting the Greenfield community and beyond. Some of this year's recipients include the Stone Soup Cafe, Conway Fine Arts Concert Series, Greenfield Military Band, and Greenfield Winter Carnival Ice Sculptures. For today, partly sunny and mild, chance for an afternoon rain or snow shower, highs 42 to 46. Tonight, cloudy, chance for evening rain and snow showers, lows 24 to 28. And the outlook for Tuesday, partly sunny, breezy and colder, highs in the lower 30s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. 
Los archivos nacionales han pedido a los expresidentes y vicepresidentes de Estados Unidos que vuelvan a verificar sus registros personales en busca de documentos clasificados luego de la noticia de que el presidente Joe Biden y el ex vicepresidente Mike Pence tenían dichos documentos en su poder. Los archivos enviaron una carta el jueves a representantes de expresidentes y vicepresidentes que se remonta a Ronald Reagan para garantizar el cumplimiento de la ley de registros presidenciales. La ley establece que todos los registros creados o recibidos por el presidente son propiedad del gobierno de los Estados Unidos y serán administrados por los archivos al final de una administración. Los archivos enviaron la carta a los representantes de los expresidentes Donald Trump, Barack Obama, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George H. W. Bush y Ronald Reagan, así como a los ex vicepresidentes Pence, Biden, Dick Cheney, Al Gore y Dan Quayle. En otras informaciones, Estados Unidos está listo para hacer que las vacunas contra el COVID-19 se parezcan más a una vacuna anual contra la gripe, un cambio importante en la estrategia a pesar de una larga lista de preguntas sobre cómo protegerse mejor contra un virus que aún muta rápidamente. La Administración de Alimentos y Medicamentos pidió a sus asesores científicos el jueves que ayudaran a sentar las bases para cambiar a refuerzos una vez al año para la mayoría de los estadounidenses y cómo y cuándo actualizar periódicamente la receta de las inyecciones. El panel asesor estuvo mayormente de acuerdo con el enfoque de la FDA. Mirando hacia el futuro, la FDA dijo que a la mayoría de los estadounidenses les irá bien si reciben un refuerzo una vez al año dirigido a las variantes más nuevas en el otoño. Yo soy Johan Rashivega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. We welcome back to our show Professor Michael Clare. Michael is Professor Emeritus of Peace and World Security Studies at Hampshire. He's also Professor for many years of Peace and World Security Studies at the five colleges. He is and has been for decades the defense correspondent for The Nation magazine. He is a prolific author over a dozen books on resources and defense issues and war and peace, and he serves as a staff member and a member of the board of directors of the nonpartisan, non-governmental Arms Control Association in Washington, D.C. Michael Clare, thank you so much for being with, with us today. And for those of listeners who are with us for the first time, I'd point out that Michael has been with us since before the Ukraine war began, talking to us about issues involving Russia and Ukraine and the war that has ensued there. I'd like to uh, ask you to give us your perspective in particular, Michael Clare, uh, about what these tanks that we've been reading so much about, tanks coming from the United States, tanks coming from Germany, whether or not they are going to make a difference on the ground in Ukraine, whether they are going to allow Ukraine to regain territory, and whether that, in fact, increases the prospects for peace. I guess the better question is, what's the big picture today? Well, well, that's a lot to ask, Bill. Uh, about the tanks, we're talking about U.S. Abrams tanks, and German Leopard 2 tanks. Uh, the thing about these tanks is it, it's probably going to be months before they're delivered to the battlefield and the Ukrainians become, uh, you know, trained uh, to operate and maintain them. The, these are very heavy, complicated pieces of, of equipment to operate. The Abrams tanks, U.S. tanks in particular, are very complex pieces of equipment, not easy to maintain. So my guess is they're not going to make a difference on the battlefront in the next two or three months. But it appears that Russia is gearing up for an offensive, another offensive, sometime in the next two or three months. So the tanks probably will not change the equation on the battlefield over the next two or three months, when we're likely to see a Russian offensive uh, attempt in the Donbass region, the area that Putin claims is being part of Russia. That's a start. All right. I mean, yes, yeah, all right. I don't mean it's all right. Where does that put the, the Ukrainian armed forces in terms of the present division of 
landmass, some controlled by Russia, some controlled by Ukraine. Ukraine wants to get back the uh, land that has been seized by Russia. Russia says never, it's never going to happen. Uh, is there, does the standoff continue, or do you fear that Russia, in fact, will be able to seize more of Ukraine? You know, Bill, this is a lot dependent on human factors at this point. Uh, uh, Vladimir Putin, who, you know, really runs the show, um, has keeps switching his top generals around out of disappointment with their performance. He began the war uh, with General Gerasimov, who organized the initial advance uh, on, on Kiev and Kharkiv and other cities, which turned out to be an ultimate catastrophe because of, it was badly organized and it failed and Ukraine stopped the Russians. So Putin replaced Gerasimov uh, with another general known for his butchery in Syria, General Surovikin, now, just in the past week or so, uh, Putin replaced Sorovikin uh, with and, and put Gerasimov back in power. The the reasoning in the West is that Sorovikin, Sergei Sorovikin, was a better general and understood that uh, Ukraine was fighting very capably on the battlefield and that Russia needed to go from an offensive position to a defensive position. He's the one who pulled Russian forces out of Kherson and moved them across the Dnieper River uh, to the east side in an orderly retreat, which apparently infuriated Putin. So now Gerasimov has supposedly promised Putin that he's going to launch, uh, he's going to go on the offensive, which is what Putin wants. Now, he doesn't have a very good record, Gerasimov, because he failed the first time around. But, you know, he's he's got about 200,000 new troops as a result of the mobilization last fall. And so we, we could have to wait and see whether this is any better than the last time around and whether these troops are really, these fresh troops are really capable of fighting. And... You know, the estimate of, of most people in the West, my estimate would be uh, that Russia could make some gains at, at a very high cost in human blood, uh, but that we're not going to see some dramatic change in the battlefield. And it's at that point that Ukraine may counterattack and where those tanks might make a difference late, later this spring. There was an article in today's papers about Russian troops returning home, and in particular, uh, persons who had been locked up in Russian prisons, having been conscripted and sent to the battlefield, um, were hardened uh, in that in, in that in that endeavor. Uh, many died, but those who were uh, returning home may at least the implications of the media reporting is, may have some influence on Russian opinion about this war. Do you have a sense of that? Well, th these are troops who had been recruited into the Wagner Group, uh, a private mercenary army organized by Yevgeny Prigozhin, a, a, a warlord uh, within the Kremlin cosmos, you have these various warlords and oligarchs, uh, some of whom have private armies, including Prigozhin, the, the Wagner Group. And he promised to do a better job than the Russian military. And he recruited, according to the Times story, about 40,000 prisoners by offering them pardons. Uh, if, if they join the fight, uh, they, they leave jail free. Uh, but according to Western military intelligence of the 40,000, 30,000 30, of them, three out of four, have been either killed or wounded or have deserted. Uh, so what message they're going to bring back is, is to Russia will be very interesting. Are, are they, are they going to come back and, you know, as, as gung-ho patriots, or are they going to come back and say that Ukraine is hell? And this matters. 
because uh, there are uh, widespread rumors and talk in Moscow that Putin is planning another mobilization, a spring mobilization, of, uh, perhaps of a much larger number of troops. Putin has not given up his goal of conquering Ukraine. Despite everything, he's still intent on conquering Ukraine. And to do that, he's going to need another half million men. That is the talk in Moscow. And another mobilization is going to, is going to really test Russian society to its core. You know, the last time around, when he called up 300,000 troops, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people fled Russia young men in prime prime fighting age. So now if he tries again, we'll, we'll have to see uh, what kind of impact that will have on Russian society, whether it'll lead to a revolt, whether people will disappear from the country in huge numbers. Uh, th this will be a real test of his power. How would Russia, and how did Russia, first about the 500,000 uh, potential conscripts that you just talked about, the 300,000 that have, in fact, been conscripted before. How does a country like Russia, or any country for that matter, take that huge number of persons who are not trained military people and turn them into an uh, effective fighting force in a matter of, what, weeks, months? How does that happen? The United States has a very, very organized system of military education, uh, Camp Lejeune for, for the Marines, and the Army has, and the Navy, they all have their equivalent institutions, and troops undergo very rigorous training. And it would be highly unlikely for any U.S. Uh, soldiers uh, to face a combat situation with less than six months or a year of training. Uh, the Russians have on paper uh, an equivalent system, but uh, it's been, it turns out that that equivalent system is on paper. And in fact, a, a lot of it is decrepit or doesn't exist, has fallen into disrepair, never maintained, so it's unclear uh, how that's going to work. Uh, a lot of the of the three hundred thousand, about a hundred thousand, were were thrown into battle, and a lot of them were killed, wounded, deserted, because their training was so incompetent. And they 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 uh, what they sent home to their families was stories of Adahara, of of being simply used as cannon fodder. We're speaking with Michael Clare. He is Professor Emeritus of Peace and World Security Studies at Hampshire College and is the defense correspondent for The Nation magazine. We're going to take a quick break, and when we're going to come back, I'm going to ask the question, is there any end in sight in this war in Ukraine? We'll be right back. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. For the first time in the history of the country and of the history of the United States, the Supreme Court has taken away a constitutional right. I would also describe this day as a day when women in the United States and people who can become pregnant have become second-class citizens. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. It happens all over Massachusetts. In every home and every community. Be careful on your bike. Learning can happen anytime, anywhere. We'll see you at practice this weekend. And no matter how learning takes place in your family's life, Desi is there as your partner. The Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Never stop learning. Find out more at mass.gov slash back to school. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Department for Elementary and Secondary Education. 
Getting your credit score and credit report free is another great reason to bank at Greenfield Savings Bank. With the GSP Credit Center, you can monitor your credit score and credit report as often as you like, set up alerts, and find tips on how to improve your credit score. Getting your credit score and credit report free is another great reason to bank at Greenfield Savings Bank. With the GSP Credit Center, you can monitor your credit score and credit report as often as you like, set up alerts, and find tips on how to improve your credit score. Monitoring your credit score and report is an important tool in protecting your finances and can help you identify errors and prevent fraud. Our GSP Credit Center is just one of the great benefits that comes free with both our free online banking and our free mobile app. And with the GSP mobile app, you can check your score and access your credit report free anytime and from anywhere using your mobile device. And checking your credit report at the GSP Credit Center will not affect your credit score. Sign up today at any of our offices or online. Greenfield Savings Bank. Greenfieldsavings.com. Member FDIC. Member DIF. Mobile carrier charges may apply. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you get the best local and organic produce, a butcher shop, wine and cheese shop, fresh seafood, and hundreds of bulk herbs, spices, and more. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you create hundreds of union jobs and generate over $7 million in purchases from local farms and businesses. River Valley Co-op is your food hub, bringing you the best from around the valley and world while supporting your neighbors and local farmers. Shop River Valley Co-op in Northampton and East Hampton today. River Valley Co-op. This week's Shop Tuesday is Galaxy. This Tuesday at 9 a.m., Galaxy releases certificates for the restaurant in East Hampton. Dumplings, deviled eggs, and an ever-changing menu of creative plates, large and small. A stylish bar and lounge, a dining room with boots of white leatherette. And this Tuesday, you save 30%. Galaxy in East Hampton. Available this Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. We continue our conversation with Michael Clare, Professor Emeritus of Peace and World Security Studies at Hampshire College, the defense correspondent for The Nation magazine, and a regular on our show. Michael Clare, I'd like to go back to the big question, the big picture, and ask you to tell us what the objective is for Putin at this point. I know you've said he wants to take over Ukraine. Is there any in-between position that would satisfy him? You know, that's asking me to see inside his head, and nobody has succeeded at that uh, so far. But my guess is that, first of all, he's claimed uh, three provinces or oblasts of of Ukraine are already incorporated into Russia, uh, the uh, Donetsk and Luhansk, and and uh, uh, now I'm tongue-tied. I think you've done a remarkable job on these Russian names. I want you to tell you that. I want to tell you that. Yes, uh, the one with with, with in the south, um, and. He doesn't control those provinces. Uh, The Ukrainians control large portions of all of them. So uh, one very strong possibility is um, uh, the the third one is Zaporizhia, where Kherson is. Uh, So one possibility is is he'll drive, he'd be satisfied if he could control all three provinces that, that have already been incorporated into Russia. Plus, and this is important, also that he so destroys Ukraine as a functioning economic system uh, that it'll never recover, you know, uh, as, as, as more than, than a, a, you know, a, a place of ruins and despair. I think that's as much as his objective as anything else to to make Ukraine a has-been place. And this poses a real challenge for, for, for the West because the West has promised to keep Ukraine as a functioning society and to support it. It's gonna be a very, very expensive price tag for that to happen. And that's gonna create political discussion, political debate in the West. Which brings me to the next question I had for you, which is, do you see the American support and Western support for Ukraine 
waning because it is essential. The military hardware is essential. The money is essential. How long do you see the West is actually standing shoulder to shoulder with Ukraine? So we passed, uh, we passed the first test in that regard, uh, or, or, or rather, we, I mean, the West passed the first test in that regard by getting through January without, without a major break. There was a close call uh, over the past few weeks when the uh, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz uh, said that he would not supply the German tank, the Leopard 2, which the Ukrainians badly want, unless the U.S. sent some tanks of its own, the Abrams tank I spoke about earlier. And it, it was unclear. Biden did not want to send those tanks. The Pentagon did not want to send those tanks. They're going to be very difficult and costly for the Ukrainians to operate. Uh, but in the end, uh, Biden agreed to supply Abrams tanks, and that gave Schultz uh, the cover to promise Leopard tanks, German tanks for Ukraine. So there was a coming together of solidarity in the West for this phase of the war. Uh, I, I think for the next phase, the next six months, when you're going to see a, an offensive by Russia, a counteroffensive by Ukraine, the West will stick together. Uh, if the war drags on beyond that, uh, and, and Ukraine's needs for weapons and support continue to escalate, then, then, then you might see a division within the West, within the United States, about how much funding will continue to provide. Okay, in the minute we have left, focus on that for us. Will this re new Republican majority in the House, you think, have enough sway to stop funding from the United States for Ukraine? No, I don't think so because you know within the republic within the Republican Party, national security, tough on defense, anti-Russia has has always been such a strong component of the Republican Gestalt, and to to cede that ground to the Democrats and make the Republicans look like uh, you, you know defeatists, I, I I don't see that happening. I really don't. I, I think in the end the Republicans will go along with it for for another for the, this coming period. Beyond that is another story. But you know, in, in the coming six months of Russian offensive, counteroffensive, they'll they'll come through. We're going to leave it there. We've been speaking with Michael Clare, Professor Emeritus of Peace and World Security Studies at Hampshire and the Five Colleges, defense correspondent for The Nation magazine, and a regular with us. This segment is called War and Peace. Maybe we should reframe it and call it peace and war. <laughs> Thank you so much, Professor Michael Clare. Really appreciate your time and insights. Sure thing. Good talking with you. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For some kids, home isn't a safe place. And in these times, access to trusted adults like teachers and counselors is limited. I'm Kara McElhone, Executive Director of the Children's Advocacy Center of Hampshire County. Our mission is to prevent and end child abuse in our community by providing safety, healing, and justice. The Children's Advocacy Center is open in providing resources to children and caregivers throughout Hampshire County. Please visit us online at cachampshire.org or call 413-570-5989. What if there were a way to go into cancer surgery or treatment feeling more comfortable and optimistic? Recorded meditations can help. Doctors have said that it makes their job simpler. Nurses tell us their patients may go home sooner and need less pain medication. Cancer Connection creates custom meditations for people affected by cancer, and you don't even have to come in. Live go to cancer-connection.org Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station. 